Welcome to Hippie Witch, magic for a new age. I'm your host, Joanna DeVoe, and this is a happy, hippie place where magic with a K meets the law of attraction. Hi, thanks for joining me for episode 311 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the shape-shifting creatrix behind Kick-Ass Switch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and All That Good Shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio where you will also find a link to Queen! 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 A five-week audio journey to reclaim your personal sovereignty. I am very, very excited about this because Queen starts this Sunday on the new moon, and it's getting closer, it's getting closer, you'll probably see me do a little countdown on social media, because it's getting closer, and I hope you will join me if you are a woman who wants to work with the queen archetype, but that is not the subject of today's show, although it definitely ties in with today's show, Great Expectations, and the bold cast of characters within. Isn't that a fun title? (laughs) Great expectations and the bold cast of characters within. I did an episode here back in December that I really love and wanted to expand on. It was an episode called The Magic of Self-Image. And in it, I was talking about how your self-image shapes your reality. So I'm I'm really, this is like kind of part two of the magic of self-image. I just wanted to give it a fun new title. So Great Expectations and the Bold Cast of Characters Within is really the magic of self-image part two. And what I was talking about in that episode, which I want to pick up again here and revisit, is how, first of all, your self-image largely dictates your experience of life. You can go back and listen to The Magic of Self-Image if you missed that episode or you want a little refresh. Uh, But I'm saying it does. Your self-image, who you perceive yourself to be, ultimately becomes how other people perceive you and how life responds to you and and your expectations. Speaking of great expectations, your expectations of what you're capable of, your expectations of uh, how life is going to respond to you. And I was talking about how A powerful archetype represents, and what I'm talking about here today, I'm not just referencing back to that. It's just a conversation I wanted to continue. A powerful archetype represents a package of qualities, which can make which can make it a more effective tool for changing your self image on purpose, Uh, rather than merely just let's say, for example, focusing on one word, like the word brave. Being brave is good. And working with a word like brave can create radical shifts in your self-image. But what happens when you call on an archetype, so we're going to be talking about archetypes a lot here, because I'm saying this is an awesome way to 
to alter your expectations and to call forth the bold cast of characters within and ultimately to shape your self-image and your experience of life. All of that. Can can we cover all of that in one episode? Let's see. <laughs> so while working with a word, like a lot of us pick a word of a year, right? Maybe your word of the year is brave. Working with a word like that can totally create a shift in your life. And it's awesome. But what happens when you call forth, when you start invoking the energy of an archetype, like the warrior, for example... You are calling in the energy of the word brave, as well as perhaps cleverness, loyalty, justice, or even wisdom, depending on your personal take on what a warrior is. And some people give it like a flavor. I'm a love warrior. I'm a spiritual warrior. So if your idea of a warrior includes bravery, if it includes cleverness, loyalty, justice, wisdom, you are then invoking all those qualities when you commit to embodying that archetype. So maybe working with, with instead of the word of the year, for example, if you're a person that likes to do that, instead of it being brave, what would be the difference then if your word was warrior? And you started, you know, instead of saying, I'm going to embody the word brave, what if you embodied the archetype warrior? How would that be different if your idea of a warrior also included all those other qualities? That's why I think archetypes are so damn exciting <laughs> because it's like multitasking and going faster and uh, really learning about a more comprehensive holistic energy, if you will. This is something I'm really excited about helping people understand because it goes straight to the heart of what I'm most interested in. Magic, creating change and conformity with will in order to create the kick-ass life of your dreams. That's my mission. I want to live a life like that myself, and I want to help other people learn how to live a life like that if they want to if they choose to, if that excites them the way it excites me. And just to digress here for a quick second, because I want to be clear, I think that creating the kick-ass life of your dreams, which I know sounds very silly and corny, it's the tagline of my business, kick-ass witch, in case you missed the memo. <laughs> That's why I say it all the time. I think that creating the kick-ass life of your dreams happens on two levels. So the first is getting into a place of gratitude and appreciation for the life you are living right now. So so that you can make the most of it and also have a good time along the way. And so that the kick-ass life of your dreams isn't some far off thing that you're striving and striving and striving to achieve. It's a state of being in the now. And so in that way, like the journey becomes the journey becomes the destination or the creation. I, I in recent years have been saying the journey is the creation because that feels more fun and more true for me. So in that way, you get to, you know, the, the kick-ass life of your dreams isn't like some far off destination that you might never get to. It's here right now. And then, of course, there is the fun of striving. 
And as long as you first get to the place in which you can appreciate what you have now and who you are now, uh, as long as you can get there first, then the, then, then the journey becomes more of a joy. Otherwise, the striving can become a form of self-punishment. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You need to try harder. You need to change. Those are messages I don't want to send because then it becomes a never-ending quest to improve yourself, in quotations, uh, to outrun yourself, to bury the shame of who you fear you are, uh, to seek validation outside yourself, yada, yada, yada. All the shit that makes us give up the fun of reaching for more. Um, because that's not fun at all. <laughs> that's not fun at all. So I really think that first learning to love who you are right now is really important. And learning to make the home you live in, the body you live in, the life you're living right now, to to get into gratitude for that. So that, on some level, is is the kick-ass life of your dreams, if that makes sense. You're enjoying yourself. You're not going to throw this day away in the name of creating a better future. Uh, so in that episode I did back in December, The Magic of Self-Image, I mentioned a book called Psycho-Cybernetics. I think I referred to it as a weird old book <laughs> at some point. Uh, maybe not in that episode, but somewhere. I don't remember, but I... I I think I called it something like that, a weird old book. And I called it that because my copy is from the 60s when it was originally published. And the language is a little stiff. Some might say boring. I don't know. I enjoy it. I hung with I hung with the stiff language because I was really excited about the the ideas presented. And then, too, the title, Psycho-Cybernetics. Like, this is before computers were really a thing, right? Uh, so <laughs> it must have sounded really out there back when this book was new. But it's actually become hip again, like, in personal development circles. Like, I think Dan Kennedy, is it Dan Kennedy? Some marketing dude. Uh, I think it's Dan Kennedy. I don't know if he got the rights to it or what, but he re-released re it as a new edition. And I've seen reviews of that where people are complaining that it, it's not as good as the old one. You have to get the old one. So I don't know. I don't know. Read the reviews. I haven't read Dan Kennedy's version <laughs> Psycho-Cybernetics. Um, if you can hang with the dry delivery, I highly recommend checking out that book. Maybe just with an open mind and being like, this is an interesting theory because it is. It's super fascinating. And it's a book packed with awesome ideas. And at its core, really, it's about the power of changing your self-image, what I'm going to talk about here today. Uh, so I guess that brings me back around to the title of this show, Great Expectations, because your self-image dictates your expectation, your greatest expectation, your expectation for yourself, what you are capable of, what you must achieve in order to not let yourself down. And must is really important. Like what, what you feel you must achieve, you will achieve. Like must is, is there's a power to that word. Um, so your expectations of yourself, what, 
what you what you expect to experience, how you expect the world to respond. And then and then this all gets kind of spooky because and cool, spooky and cool because the world responds in kind. I don't know why it just does, okay? <laughs> You'll have to find out for yourself. That's something you have to experience for yourself. You can't just listen to a bunch of new agey people tell you that. It, it, it has to be something that you start really experiment, experimenting with so you can actually experience it for yourself and be like, holy crap, the world really does respond to my expectations. It meets those expectations in a very strange way. And, it, and you really need to understand the shadow too to play around in this world on, an, on a deeper level. Because your subconscious expectations are largely tied up in your self-image. Your self-image is very much, uh, it's a lot of self, uh, subconscious content there. So not to throw too many ideas at you, I guess I am. Psycho-cybernetics, the shadow, uh, self-image, archetypes, all this stuff. I, I, I think we're speaking the same language there. I hope that we are. So, so we can move on without getting into like what shadow work is and all of that stuff. Uh, the example that I gave in The Magic of Self-Image, that, that episode back in December, the example I gave was of wealthy people. I think this is something we can all understand. So somebody that's born into wealth and privilege, their family is loaded. They are spoiled they their family expects them to be successful in life they pull strings for them they get into the best schools they get the best entry level positions they get to usually bypass the entry level positions <laughs> uh you know when it comes to their career the expectation of themselves is that they will be wealthy and successful because they were programmed to believe they are wealthy and successful from birth it's more complicated than that because they also benefit from the privilege of the expectations around them, the wealth around them, and the, the connections that they have. But it's really a collective, it's a collection of all of those people's expectations. <laughs> so it's, it gets really interesting when you start considering that. But what, what the point that I made, I used Donald Trump as an example because he expects to be wealthy, and he has filed for bankruptcy a number of times and then continued and then bounced right back. Wealthy people can lose everything, and then they build it right back up. Sometimes I've read stories of people doing, like, people losing millions and billions of dollars and then building their wealth right back up, even sometimes bigger than ever before, in a very short period of time, like a year, two years, because... They their self-image is one of wealth and success. They perceive that. They perceive themselves that way. And so they must be. They must meet that great expectation. They are wealthy. They are successful. It's how they perceive themselves. It's their self-image. And so they don't have to go through the whole song and dance that the rest of us have to do when we file for bankruptcy and it, we take a major hit to uh, our self-esteem, you know, we're like, oh, I knew it. I knew it was too good to be true and I could never make it financially. That's our self-image. Their self-image is different. 
Uh, I already mentioned this somewhere too. I can't remember where, but uh, some one of the podcasts one time, sometime I I talked about the Amy Schumer movie that is coming out this weekend, which I personally am very excited to see. I cannot believe the hate <laughs> generated uh, by Amy Schumer. My God, she has a lot of haters, like very uh, vociferous haters. Like they they hate her intensely and they love to express it online. <laughs> Um, I don't. So, uh, I am going, I'm going, I'm going with my favorite witchy girlfriend, uh, opening night. One of my favorite witchy girlfriends opening night to see her new movie. I feel pretty, um, something that I see all of these haters talking about. If you haven't seen the trailer for, I feel pretty, this is basically what it is. A woman who is pretty average. I think she's pretty. I think she's pretty, but again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. That's key to understanding this movie, right? Um, But she doesn't feel beautiful. And she kind of, I think, is fantasizing. This is all just based on the trailer, mind you. Uh, What would it be like to be, like, supermodel beautiful? Like, what would that be like? And then she has an accident in a spinning class, bumps her head, and thinks that she looks like a supermodel. And then proceeds to behave like one. And then the world starts treating her in a different way. So what the haters are going on about on Twitter largely is where I'm seeing this. Is that like, so what are you saying? Like, um, she's not even fat. Are you calling her fat? That's a big thing I keep seeing. And uh, But also... Um, you, are you saying, like, a bigger girl can't be beautiful or that, like, we all just have to, like, clunk our heads on a piece of machinery to, like, trick ourselves into thinking we're beautiful? Like, so Amy Schumer's canceled for telling women that they have they have to have a head injury to believe they're beautiful. I don't think that's the message of the movie. <laughs> saying that's not what I get when I'm looking at it I see a movie about the magic of self-image unless the trailer is a lie I'm certain that that is what I am seeing this is a movie about the magic of self-image and when your self-image changes you behave in a different way you believe different beliefs and the world starts meeting your expectations of yourself as being whatever that self-image is in this case it's being like supermodel beautiful and all the privilege that comes with that so i'll have to get back to you on that on uh saturn's day post here saturn's day evening post i'll let you know if i'm right but i think i'm right i'm pretty sure i'm right (laughs) it's about the magic of self-image which is so timely that it's coming out this week that i'm talking about self-image i'm excited to see it it's a message that fascinates me And I'm excited that it's going to hopefully be a successful commercial movie so people can start having thoughts about this stuff. Um, You don't have to smack your head on a piece of workout equipment (laughs) to create a shift in character for yourself and ultimately to to shift your experience of life, just so you know. (laughs) You can create a shift like that on purpose. Getting back to the subject of today's show. (laughs) And I, and I used the word character here very deliberately to create a shift in character because it helps sometimes to think of it like that, like you're playing a character, which again harkens back to the years I studied method acting. And 
Oh my, there's a spider on my lap. Holy crap. Hold on. I have to have a moment. Okay. I flicked him away. <laughs> that was creepy. Mm. Okay. So what was I saying? I was talking about character and, um, yeah. Okay. So playing a character, it really harkens back to the years I studied method acting and learned the insanely amazing power of embodying a character at that level as an actor and, and involving all your senses and becoming that character and really becoming that character. Character acting or method acting, excuse me, is different than like pretending kind of, but not like, you know, like putting on a show, like putting on a fake happy face. You can really tell the difference. Like bad acting is not method acting. <laughs> method acting is when you totally believe the actor is the character. You might hate them intensely because they're the bad guy. You'll hear stories about that um, Joffrey from Game of Thrones, I guess, got harassed a lot when he would go out. <laughs> Just I don't know the actor that played Joffrey, but people hated Joffrey so much that they would see him in person and get upset. Uh, that's why you'll hear stories like about how Val Kilmer refused to break character on set between takes while playing Jim Morrison or Jim Carrey when he played Andy Kaufman. Stories like this are legendary in Hollywood because, one, it's spooky to be around someone when you think they're this, like, goofy, outgoing guy named Jim Carrey, and then they turn out to so fully and convincingly blow your mind into believing they are Andy. Like, where does Jim end and Andy begin? And people are still talking about that online. There are conspiracy theories about right now, like currently, people are adding to these currently online about how Andy Kaufman possessed Jim Carrey, that Jim somehow opened a portal to Andy in making and taking things that far. Like maybe he went too far with the method acting and then he was possessed by Andy. Well, he did open a portal, in my opinion, but the portal didn't lead outside himself. It was a portal into his own soul. <laughs> think about that. <laughs> so if you think about working with an archetype like playing a character, it starts to become a matter of are you getting into character or is the character getting into you? Or did it live there all along? So why would you do that? <laughs> why would you even want to go there? Um, I will give you an example, okay, of why you might want to play around with this concept. <sighs> What's a good example here? We already talked about the warrior. Okay, so you might recognize that for example, you have been paying too heavy a price for feeling like a victim, like a victim of the system or the government or the current social structure or the wage gap, something like that. And it's holding you back and you're sick of feeling like you can't do anything about it. So you decide that you should take up activism maybe, but you've never been an activist and you don't know any activists and you don't know if you have the courage to really go there anyway. That's when you might start calling in the energy of a warrior. And how do you do that? 
how how do you like what is a lot of times when I talk about working with an archetype, people are like they write to me and they say, what do you mean by working with an archetype? So I hope I can shed some light on that here. It's not exactly, by the way, like working with the character and like an actor, but that can get you there. That's why I'm talking about it. And it, and it's a, it's closely related. Let's put it that way. Um, so how would you do that? You're feeling like a victim. You want to kick butt but that's really not part of your self-image yet. So maybe you're going to start working with the archetype of the warrior. How would you do that? You would immerse yourself in all things warrior. Maybe you would read some books about being a spiritual warrior. Maybe you home in on one particular warrior figure from history or myth or legend and uh, really focus on that on that person because it fires you up. He or she fires you up. Uh, so you make a Pinterest board and you, and you get a tattoo. People do this all the time. <laughs> the phoenix rising from the ashes. Is that the world's most popular tattoo? It might be. Um, I don't know. I just made that up. Don't go Googling that now. <laughs> it's a common one in the new age community. <laughs> but you start weaving that warrior energy into your identity on purpose. And in the context of what we're talking about here, it empowers you to join a march, to give a speech, to show up in court, to confront injustice. You start taking on the, the warrior energy as you learn how to become an activist, for example, to fight against whatever injustice you're seeing in the world that you want. You want to be the change. So does that make sense? And at first, it might feel like playing a part. But with enough momentum and experience and, and playing around with that warrior archetype, Ultimately, you become the warrior. So remember when I said recently that you are nature, that every season exists within you and can be invoked at will? The same is true of archetypes. Every archetype exists within. And by, by definition, an archetype is a pattern of energy that we all can recognize. That's why they show up again and again and again in stories and myths throughout time and cultures. You can find the same archetypes like in our superhero movies as you can reaching like across the world and going back 500 years. We know these energies because we are these energies. And so you are the knight, and you are the king, and you are the fool, and the villain, and the prostitute, the wizard, the savior, the mother. On some level, you are all these things, even if most of them are lying dormant somewhere in your system now, because you'd go nuts, right? <laughs> if you're like, I am the mother, I am the savior, I am the prostitute, I am the warrior, I am the villain, I am the king, I am the fool, the knight, the princess, I'm all these things. You are, but... What is stepping forward for you now? What part are you playing most predominantly in your life? Uh, I've, I just sent out this weekend a newsletter to, to those of you who signed up for the free video series, You Are a Queen. If you signed up for that series, you're on my list. And I sent you a newsletter 
uh, kind of talking about this a little bit. And um, so I cut and pasted here. Where's my little PDF? So I can read this to you. A little piece of that for those of you who didn't get to didn't get that newsletter because it applies to to all everything I'm saying right now. This isn't a queen thing. It is, but it's it's all the it's a warrior thing too, or a knight or or whatever archetype is is interesting to you in a way that might provide a bit of empowerment. So what did I say? I said it's a little bit like playing a character or dressing up for Halloween. Have you ever worn a costume to a party and found yourself behaving in a way that you normally wouldn't? Perhaps you felt emboldened to behave a bit badly, in quotations. I meant that in a fun way. (laughs) Perhaps you felt emboldened to behave a bit badly, to flirt more, laugh more, or get your groove on with more funk. Why is that? It's not because you were pretending. It's because something about that costume empowered you to access a part of yourself that already exists and was looking for expression. Working with archetypes is kind of like that, and learning to invoke the queen can do that for you every day, but in a much deeper way. And good news, you don't have to wear a costume to get there. (laughs) Although you can if you want. Uh, I'm not reading anymore, by the way, just to let you know. Um, (laughs) You can if you want. You can rock that costume. Glamour magic is real. Glamour is potent for this very reason, exactly what I'm talking about here. So if you want to feel like a boss, dress like a boss, move like a boss, hold your body like a boss. You don't have to wear a costume to get there, but it can help. And And in that way, magic works from the outside in. I say throw everything at it, right? If you really want to learn how to embody an archetype like the queen or the warrior, go there. Go there. I mean, don't you want to feel the experience of that? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. I don't, and I don't know if you can even fully understand the experience of it if you just kind of dabble around here and there. So glamour magic is awesome if you just want to throw everything at it. Think about too, like um, people talk about like in in personal empowerment movements and in personal development, some in the new age community talk about something that's called a power stance or a power pose. And, you know, you basically you stand like a superhero when you need a bit of power, like if you have to go do something scary. So you stand up with great posture with your head held high and your legs apart and your hands on your hips like Superman, right? (laughs) Uh, So try that. I I invite you to try that because because your biology can change your psychology. It's absolutely true. And and so in that way, magic works from the outside in. Doing this power pose, like standing like Superman, looks ridiculous. You feel like a total jackass if you got caught doing it, but I suggest you try it anyway. <laughs> try it in the privacy of your own home so you can experience a little bit of what I'm talking about here. You can experience a shift like, holy crap, I do feel different when I hold my body in that position. I feel different. And then what are the implications of that, right? Like, so what am I doing to my psychology when I'm, when I'm in victim mode? When I'm embodying the victim archetype, how do you hold your body? And can you start to like shake that loose a little bit by striking a power pose? And um, 
I have to go off on one little tangent here because my mind is begging me to do this right now. <laughs> it's just a cute story. It's just a cute story. And, and I have to tell it really quick uh, because it popped into my head right now. <laughs> Speaking of the boss. Speaking of bosses. Uh, a long, long time ago when I worked for a music management company, uh, one of my bosses was this super laid back dude who loved to relive the glory of his party days like he would tell me a lot about like back when quaaludes were all the rage and how awesome it was <laughs> and he was very beachy he always had a suntan and he was just a super chill very nice guy I liked him a lot I still like him a lot even though I haven't seen him in many years um but his son, Max, <laughs> his son would worry him because he he worried that his son was going to get bullied. And also just they were so different. I think it, it really like threw him for a loop. He would go. His son was little, like in elementary school, and he would go to pick his son up from school or he would just show up at the school to see what was going on. And his son, he wanted to wear a suit. He asked for a suit for his birthday, like a full like jacket and pants suit like a little kid I don't know what grade he was in let's say first grade a little guy <laughs> walking around in a suit when all the other kids are wearing jeans and t-shirts and he would see him like talking to himself like walking around out out on the outskirts of of where the kids were playing like talking to himself walking around in a suit and then he asked for a, a briefcase I believe one year <laughs> for Christmas or his birthday. And he's like, oh my God, my kid is going to get beat up. What is this? You know? And I always thought it was just so adorable. And, uh, and now today I wonder, I wonder what became of Max. Cause he would, I think be in his mid twenties now. And I would be willing to bet if the bullies didn't beat it out of him for being different. That he is somewhere climbing the corporate ladder like a boss because he's been playing that role in his imagination since he was a tiny little kid. How many kids do that? I mean, we all use our imagination in these crazy ways, but he was so committed to it, right? To being a boss. <laughs> I love that. I love that image in my mind of that little dude. So using your imagination is is no joke. And working with an archetype in order to deliberately change your experience of life is, all kidding aside, it's a craft. It's a craft. And encoding the energy and invoking the archetype that you're interested in and doing that with persistence and dedication, you set the stage for magic to occur. You set the stage for... You set the stage for magic with craft, you know, by practicing glamour magic, for example, or working with your posture. Uh, and then the structure of craft carries you through moments, maybe where you need a little bit of bravery or courage. So the structure of craft carries you through moments like that until just one day, like whoosh, lightning strikes and the magic takes over. And it's always a surprise when that happens. Even if you intentionally set out to create it, there's a thrill when all of a sudden it like kicks in. Even if you meticulously laid out your ritual and performed it with heartfelt commitment, the exact moment that that archetype is moving and breathing through you is absolute magic. And as prepared as you may be, it arrives as a very delightful surprise. And something 
you get the feeling that something mysterious and wonderful has joined the party. (laughs) This deep, it's a part of you. From deep down inside, you feel it rise up, and it feels really cool. Uh, Some force is moving through you. I believe it's from within, like I was saying about Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman. I don't think he was channeling Andy Kaufman. I think he was channeling the Andy Kaufman from within, if that makes sense. It might help you to think about, like, all is one. All is one, and we are all just the microcosm of the macrocosm, if you want to get super groovy with it like that. But some force is moving through you that feels very warrior-like. You're not pretending. All of a sudden, like, the line between pretending and playing a character is blurred, and you start becoming. And you are rocking it out, like, ping, 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 here I come to save the day, mighty mass is on his way. It's like that. And other people will feel it, too. They'll be like, Mighty Mouse is on his way. Look at that. <laughs> Mighty Mouse, save us. So, <laughs> remember, I can't not joke around. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that's about. It's, it's innate to my self-image, I guess. But remember, self-image is about more than how you view yourself. It is an expectation. It's what you believe about the nature of reality and magic and possibility. And it's very much the source of what you believe is possible for yourself. And it also involves how you see other people and life in general. And then again, just to keep repeating this, how life and other people see you. One of my favorite archetypes of self-image to talk about is my least favorite archetype. (laughs) It's the damsel in distress because, God, it's one that has fucked my shit up. Sorry for, uh, for the language there, but that's exactly what it did to me. It did that to me because on a deep subconscious level that involved lots and lots of old family programming mainly, Uh, that's what I believed myself to be. And again, on a subconscious level, I wasn't running around like, look at me, I'm a princess, I'm a damsel in distress, please save me. But the choices that I made in my life, looking back at those choices, I can see I clearly had that pattern programmed into me and that archetype at play subconsciously. And of course, it's reinforced by the media because the princess that needs to be rescued is is a really common trope in, in books and movies. So my self-image included the subconscious belief that I was a princess, a damsel in distress in need of being rescued. And not only did I play that part, the people around me did too, naturally. And so... I attracted two two kinds of men. <laughs> I attracted dirty, rotten scoundrels who were wired to present themselves as Prince Charming when they saw a damsel in distress. And, and then to a few genuine Prince Charmings with, who had like a savior complex and, and they wanted to rescue me, right? Because that's, that's how they, that's what they were programmed to do. And so together we made a hot mess of a play. Like we put on quite the performance for each other and screwed our lives up together. It was all very dramatic and exciting and completely disempowering for all of us. So the damsel in distress is a life trope outside the movies and books. It's a really damaging cliche based on thousands of years of cultural programming that harms men 
as much as it does women. And I believe what we're moving into now is the era of equal partnership in our relationships and in our work culture. And uh, I want, you know, like kings and queens together, right? <laughs> not, not, not Prince Charming coming to rescue the damsel in distress. And I want to say, too, that these old disempowering archetypes they're not exclusive to heterosexual people. I just want to put that out there. They impact us all. You absolutely can be a gay damsel in distress or a queer rescuer because we're all raised on the old Prince Charming is coming to save you storyline or our parents were and our grandparents. The subconscious template for your relationships is programmed into place first by the primary relationship you were raised on as a kid, your parents' relationship. And... And then we often end up playing out those roles. You, you tend to favor your father or your mother and, and act that role out in um, your earliest attempts at relationships. Some of us do it for a lifetime, but not us, right? <laughs> we are breaking those patterns on purpose. We are, we are writing our own stories, and, and we've got great expectations for ourselves. And just so you know, there's no shame. There's no shame in discovering that you have been playing the character like that or embodying a disempowering archetype because that's who you were raised to be. It, those pro programs were put in place when you were so tiny, you didn't really have a choice in the matter. So you certainly aren't doing it consciously or on purpose, which is kind of my point. Magical people or people who are really into personal development learn how to start doing it on purpose purpose. You can change your self-image on purpose. And it's not even that complicated or hard, really. Uh, but what it requires is determination and persistence and commitment. It's a time thing. It's a commitment thing. So that's why when I started getting all these ideas about helping women learn to harness the energy of the queen uh, in their own lives, because I had been working with the queen and I'd, I would just be like driving in my car and I would have, I was giving speeches to no one. <laughs> I would have, uh, some people would call this a download. I would have like these downloads of like, ah, you know, I'd start recording, talking into my phone and recording all these ideas or just like writing, writing, writing and wondering like, what is all of this that's coming through right now? And it was the, definitely the product of working with the queen archetype myself and the ways that it had just radicalized my life in a good way, like changed everything. And, and then all this stuff started coming through, you know, I guess it was time, maybe it was a, a sole purpose thing to start helping other women uh, who feel attracted to that energy to start working with it in their own lives. But I got to a point in doing that where I knew it couldn't you know, I was like, what is this? Is What is this going to be? Is it an ebook? Is it an episode of the podcast? Like, what's it going to be? And at some point, I knew it, it could not be in the form of another ebook. It had to be, it had to be an active experience, like a sustained active experience that carried women through a long period of time in order to create some new patterns of thought and behavior, enough for those to start like kicking in, you know, to like launch them into this experience of the queen. So that is why it is called Queen, a five-week audio journey to reclaim your personal sovereignty. And if you want to go on that journey with me, one, 
I hope you are listening to this on time because the journey starts this Sunday morning on the new moon. It's starting Sunday. So follow the link here, whatever, wherever it is. It's on Blog Talk Radio. It's on my blog. I keep posting it on social media because I really hope you'll join me for that. And two, if you do sign up, please commit, like suspend any disbelief you might have about your ability to change your self-image that way. And then make space to really engage with each installment, to do the journal prompts and do the exercises that in the later installments, there's there's 10 installments. So the later installments start challenging you to take it to the streets, take it to the streets, my friends. So whatever archetype you choose to call in, this is not just a queen thing. This is about any empowering archetype you want to start working with, whichever archetype you choose to call in. Immerse yourself in that world and practice, practice, repetition, repetition, commitment, practice. Give it a chance to show you what it can do. And I hope you enjoyed this. I enjoyed this. I I talk with my hands a lot, but I noticed this time I was like conducting a symphony, (laughs) waving my hands in the air. I just really love talking about this stuff. So (laughs) I hope you enjoyed it too. Until we meet again, much love, peace.